This is Homebuyer Talk Radio with your host, Mark Ebinger. Now, here's Mark. Welcome to Homebuyer Talk Radio. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about what folks can do to help recover from buying a home that turns out to be a bit of a lemon. And if you're thinking of, it's not really funny, but I just, I couldn't help but giggle there a little bit because of the word lemon, you know. <laughs> anyway, if you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent to, pers- to participate in b- the booming Texas housing market, we've got some high-level insight on things you should do before getting your real estate license. And we're going to talk about a new social media business strategy that actually works for small businesses without breaking the budget. A lot of folks just really spending money on uh, social media advertising. They don't have anything to show for it uh, at the end of it. In the studio with us today is real estate expert Gaspar Sefuentes. Gaspar, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Also in studio with us today is home inspection expert Mike Marlowe. Mike, it's always good to see you again. Yeah, glad to be back. Yeah, glad to have you here. A quick reminder for our listeners to catch our podcast and watch video versions of our show anytime by visiting our website at homebuyertalkradio.com. And if you have a business that services homeowners, buyers, or sellers, and you'd like to be a guest on our show, head over to Homebuyer Talk Radio and click on the link to apply. All right, so Gasper, the... San Antonio market, the Austin, well, the Texas market is booming in a lot of areas. And, and folks are, of course, we have rising inflation going on and people are looking for ways to add income. And mistakenly, people may think, well, real estate's an easy one. I can grab an extra $700,000 a year my first year. <laughs> yeah, your first year <laughs> out. <Whatever. Yeah. laughs> so, um, so a lot of people are making the move towards real estate as maybe a side hustle or something like that. So, yeah. But there's some things really – they they can do while they're getting their license to really kind of prep so they can get off on the right foot. Um, and you bring on new agents on a regular basis. You're training folks. Um, so what would be some good insight, good tips for people who are planning on doing that? Maybe they're already taking classes. Um, what should they be looking to do to prep themselves? Yeah, if they're taking classes, uh, that's really kind of where you want to uh, maintain your main focus. If you're out there and you're working on your classes, uh, stay focused on your classes because um, just like most state exams, that class is designed to prep you to move straight towards success with a state exam. It's not going to teach you how to sell a house. It's not going to teach you really how to do a market analysis. It's not going to teach you about um, real estate locally in general. It's not going to teach you those things, but it will teach you how to pass the test so that right. you can get your license. Yeah, yeah. And then your broker, which should have a, a, a very practical um, fast-paced movement towards earning um, a training program like we do. You know, we, we want to have that set up so that they can um, work at developing themselves so that they can make it an actual side hustle that works for them. Should they be looking for a broker before they do their class? Um, when you get through about the first three or four classes, because it's six classes, and then a prep, and then your test. How long does that process, the licensing process? Actually, you can do it as quickly as you as you need to. It's really up to you and your scheduling, but I see most people at about uh, three or four months. Okay, but could you do it in a month if you wanted to? If, if you wanted to, and you could get it to schedule itself out uh, perfectly, then you probably could. Okay, so yeah. maybe halfway through, start looking for, a bro- you may know a broker ahead of time, right? Exactly. And if you do that, then maybe that's a good opportunity to start some of those conversations early. Yeah, and you want to uh, um, start still research a lot of people because like uh, we had a, a show a couple of weeks ago where we talked about, you know, not everyone fits with the culture of every brokerage. Yeah. And that's an important thing to remember. Uh, you you may have your certain likes and dislikes and um, talking to people, talking to brokers that are, are going to um, be able to give you a little bit more of their vision and how they've developed over time may be a better pathway for a new agent to look at it and say, yeah, this is this feels right. 
to me. Right, but I think the reality is you don't always know until you get there and you're actually doing the job. Exactly. You know, with your setup with San Antonio's Finest Realty, you have, uh, you know, a lot of first responders that are working there. So they may, if someone's a first responder or they like that environment, they may feel like they're going to fit in there. But the real, uh, you know, rubber meets the road type situation is when you're actually there. And I think, um, you know, what about uh, shadowing a, a, an agent, maybe, even while you're in classes? Is that something? Yeah, you can, uh, and we encourage that as well. Um, it's not the traditional type of shadowing that may go on at any other type of job. Uh, that would require for the agent to say, okay, you know what, I actually have a listing, and I can, if someone wants to shadow me, uh, they can come watch me out today. And I've had people shadow me all the time. Like, uh, what? okay, so when they're shadowing, what are they actually so I would go into the home and I would actually do my listing presentation. I would, uh, if I knew this was probably moving in that direction already, I would probably take my photos. I'd probably take my measurements if, if necessary, if I have to build it from scratch, which is really the best way to do one when you have uh, someone shadowing you sure. so they can kind of see it from the ground level. Uh, a lot of times um, these are something that's already, uh, these listings are already have been in the MLS in the past. So if it's been in the MLS, you could kind of just verify the info and then tweak it, you know, to fit your needs, and it makes it a little bit of an easier process. So you're going to have, like, say you're going out to a listing appointment, you're going to actually have, okay, this is all the prep work you need to do yes, exactly. uh, in the office before you go out there so that you, you're ready to answer any kind of questions that may come up Correct. about the property, the neighborhood, or whatever's going on. Um, and then you go out there, and then you're showing them the steps, Hey, or they get to watch Yes, step one. With step all two. our checklists and everything else in place, I normally make them my scribe, and then I walk them through, and I'm yeah. doing everything. It makes it a lot easier, and then they're learning as they're going along. What about all the death? So what about the showing, like um, uh, either a private showing or a uh, an open house? Yeah, if uh, well, one of the agents actually has an open house, I'll suggest the client or the uh, new agent go over to shadow and watch for a little while, and it helps to give that other agent that's been there for a while. It gives them time for a break. Maybe they have to step out and you know do something. And we normally do two agents active at the at a time so that you have the ability uh, to do that break. Plus, there's a there's just a, a, a security type of aspect that we sure. want to do as well. So we always encourage two agents to be on our uh, open houses. But um, that also helps whenever, you know, they can run and get lunch or whatever they need to do, depending on how long they're going to do it. Yeah, and the marketing steps too as well for the open house. Yes. What, what kind of stuff is yeah. going on? Yeah, because they may have to drive a block away to put directional signs and their balloons and all the little fancy stuff that tries tries to drive people over to the house. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, you have to dress the front of the house a little bit so people, you know, flock towards that area. Because you want the neighbors to do that, too. You want the neighbors to come. And it's funny because neighbors normally want to come in there, but they just want to see how their neighbor lived. They want to yeah. see their neighbor's house more than they actually yeah, are absolutely. interested in buying, you know. Which can work. I mean, that can definitely work. Yeah, because they get family members to move in, you know, near, near them. Okay. And then, um, so what about... Everything's going to social media. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later as well. So cleaning up your social media a little bit, right? Because if you're posting stuff that may be controversial, I mean, you just want to kind of, it's, it's more than just we'll take a new profile photograph or whatever, which may or may not even be necessary, but people need to kind of clean up. That's something Absolutely. that- Absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you are thinking about going into uh, this business, and we were talking about it earlier, you know, with I was talking about it with Mike, and you want to stay apolitical. You want to stay- across the board, whatever your, um, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll say it like this, like my, my, my kids, I have uh, uh, young adult and teenage uh, children, and I try and explain to them that um, uh, it's, it's good to, you know, I try and encourage their feelings, but I also let them know that the world doesn't care about their feelings. No one cares. It doesn't matter how they feel to the rest of the world. 
what they have to understand is in the business world, in the real world, what you have to actually apply is something that is the actual product. You want someone to actually appreciate you for the work that you're doing. You want someone to appreciate the, the professionalism that you bring to the table. And we've kind of gotten away with that, and we've kind of tied everything in to a, a political motive. And, and um, the perfect example is Disney. Look at what Disney has done. And look at the backlash that Disney is how, now yeah. having to deal with. And it's going to get worse. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse. And we've seen this, this type of atmosphere happen when um, – People just wanted to go see the mouse. You know, that's really what it was truly about. I know that's why I took my kids there. I was like, let's go check this out. This is going to be a great thing. And we loved it. But it wasn't in a political environment at the time, you know. Yeah. And uh, granted, you know, there's, there's times and places for those things, I believe. But I think we've kind of gone a little bit too far on the business sides of things. And uh, that seems to be separating people even more so. And, and I don't think that's good for business. Do you find your... Um your real estate agents are creating their own Facebook business page and that's where they're going to be focusing their efforts as opposed to their personal profile page. Are you seeing both? What do you see trending in your? Yeah, we, we, uh, uh, I always encourage them to do a business page on Facebook just to, to be able to really, um, profoundly push their, um, listings and so on in their own personal sphere. And I want them to do that, obviously, so that they can continue to grow. But there's a little bit of magic that has to happen with that as well. You know, if you don't ever um, try and push that business page out so that people are following and liking. Uh, you're then, speaking you know, my language now. Now you've got, you've got six people looking at the house that you, mm-hmm. and they're the six people that you sold a house to in the past anyway. So it doesn't really, really go exactly. anywhere. And, and that's more prevalent than people yeah. realize. It's the people who are liking your posts, the one or two people that are liking them every time you post it, they're not your customers. Yes. Exactly. Uh, not really. Yeah, they're you supporters, want... they're friends, they're, yeah. they're, they're comrades, yeah. but they're not going to buy a house, you know, or anything else. It, it can be any subject, it can be any matter, you know, mm-hmm. but we want to make sure that um, they're understanding that there, uh, there has to come that growth with, with it. Um, so I'm always encouraging, encouraging my, my agents that, you know, you've got to push you every day just a little bit and say, who, you know, who am I going to uh, socially friend on social media today? Uh, because that's part of this the, the bigger your sphere the the better opportunities that you're going to have mm-hmm. you know, and um many of them uh follow it and some of them just don't and it's uh it's kind of sad because i go back and i look and i'm like man you're posting great stuff you know and all 15 people are going to really enjoy taking yeah. a look at that you know <laughs> yeah they, folks we'll talk about this in a, in a little bit but the most bit small businesses they get it wrong they, they totally get facebook wrong um and instagram wrong but it's not really their fault um, so I'm looking forward to chatting about that. So Gasper, if folks, uh, real estate agents, they're interested in maybe connecting with you, asking a few questions, um, open up some dialogue on maybe some guidance, um, how should they get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, I'm the broker owner, and I know a lot of brokers are really hard for especially new agents uh, to get a hold of. I am not. I pride myself on being able to speak freely with anyone that's interested in the real estate business, and my agents can testify to this as well. I answer all the time. Uh, matter of fact, my phone being uh, on airplane mode right now is probably one of the only times I'm not capable of answering my phone. Yeah. <laughs> but you can reach me at 210-332-0161. That's 210-332-0161. That's my personal phone number. You can go ahead and give me a call. Text me. I'm good with that. It's a it's the phone number that I advertise out there. Um, or you could uh, fill out an online application at safr.team. Safr.team will get, take you to a real nice video tell you a little bit more about our recruiting and it will also give you that application to fill out. It'll go straight to me. Cool. Right. Thanks, Gasper. Appreciate that. Yes, um, you know, and uh, I, I need to go out and visit your, I need to see your office and I, yeah. I'm looking forward to doing that as well. 
Um, all right, so next up on the show is Mike Marlowe, the owner of Veteran Home Inspections here in the San Antonio area. Um, Mike's been on the show. He's a regular um, and, and a great business owner and is really passionate about and knowledgeable about what he's doing, right? Can't have passion without knowledge. You can create a bit of a mess, but <laughs> he's knowledgeable about what he's doing. So we're going to talk about what folks should do if they didn't get a home inspection done before they bought their house um, and they feel like they might have a bit of a lemon you know, issue going on. But before we get into that, Mike, so uh, let's talk a little bit about home inspections uh, from you know, from your, from your perspective, for people who don't know, what is a home inspection? Basically, we're going to go in and we're going to go over the house from top to bottom. We're going to check all the major systems, structure from the foundation up to the roof. We check the electrical, we check the plumbing, uh, check the installed appliances, check the AC, which is about to be really important here in San Antonio. (laughs) Um, And, the heat, which you know, people don't think we need it down here, but no, we, we do. do. Um, so that's what we're going to go through and check. We're going to um, check the function on them. You know, we get up on the roof. We you know, check to make sure it's installed correctly, in good condition, things like that. Okay. Is, what are some red flags that you see regularly come up? Um, a lot of the red flags is um, homeowner repairs that weren't done correctly. You know, YouTube technicians. Hey, settle down now. Come on. <laughs> so, like, you know, homeowner wiring is always interesting to figure out. Like, what were they trying to do to get this extra plug in in an area that they didn't have a plug? Or, um, you know, lack of maintenance is another really big red flag. You know, you open up the HVAC and the dust bunnies oh, yeah. are just falling out. Um or you look at the coils and they're just a big old science project of mold and, and dirt and dust. And, and we see this all the time. Uh, roof, where the, the shingles are on their last legs or should have been replaced a couple years ago. Um, things like that is what we're looking for. Um, you know, foundation issues. We walk, the, you know, we're through the house, you know, walking all the time. If it feels like I'm a drunken sailor walking across the, the floor... <laughs> then we probably have a foundation issue. Or you know, if windows don't open and close correctly, doors swing shut on their own, things like that, cracks in the drywall. So that's what we're looking for. And, of course, we're also looking for mold. Um, you know, you know, if we're doing mold inspection, we're looking for mold. Termites, if we're doing a termite inspection. Water damage, like recurring water damage. I yep. mean, you can, see, you can tell, right, if it's, like, if it's happening regularly. Depends. If it's a if it was a one big event, it may look the same as you know multiple small events. But you know it's still a water issue, so yeah, we're looking for it. I take advantage or take a good look at it. Yes. So what happens? Uh, so the, you come in, you do the inspection. It takes uh, a couple hours to do yeah, it, depending on the size of the house. Two three hours. Okay. Could be more if it's a big house. And then what happens after the inspection? You're- so after the inspection, if the client's there, we'll do a quick you know walk through, show them the big stuff that we found. Um, answer any questions, and then we also will, later that day, we'll write up the, the rest of the report, uh, clean it up, and send it out to the client. It's kind of nice to have that conversation before the report gets to them because maybe they get a little bit of that white paper shock or sticker shock, maybe with like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But the other thing is when the client's there and I can walk them over and show them an issue, it is so much easier to explain it and you know, talk through the issue, then when they read the report, 
and call me back two or three days later after I've inspected several other houses. Oh, yeah. And I'm in my car driving between appointments, and they call me, and they're like, hey, do you remember this? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. No, so, it's, and yeah, it's good it's, to have that data in front of you anyway. Yeah, so it's a lot easier when we can just discuss it right at the house. And you, you can tell the client, as, as, as a realtor, I can tell when the client has been um, given the right information because that anxiety level after the report is done yeah. is not even there. Yeah, it's they, not they already know what it's what's coming. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So um, obviously, there's advantages to getting a home inspection done before a purchase. Yes. You know, before a close happens. Uh, give me a couple of good reasons why that would be. Well, the biggest thing is that you find out what you're buying. <laughs> so yeah, when we do a pre-purchase home inspection, you have the opportunity to you know rely on your agent's awesome negotiating skills to negotiate either repairs or credit or or whatever. Or you may just say, you know what, I don't know why Mike put it in the report. It's not a big deal to me. I don't care. And and there's going to be issues like that. But you know, it gives you the opportunity to either negotiate the repairs or if it's just too much for you, like if you're looking for a move-in ready house and you find out that the house is far from move-in ready and needs a full guard rehab, then you have the opportunity at that point to just walk away and find another house. Yeah. And so who normally, uh, in this type of situation, who chooses the home inspector? The client chooses. Always. Um, we have a lot of realtors that, that recommend us. Um, we also have realtors that would rather we not show up because we do too good of a job. Right. right. <laughs> but, that, yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, it's, Ultimately, the client's choice. The client's the one that's paying for us. We're, our contract is with our client. so. And the client is the buyer. Gasper, and, uh, so as far as what you know, you're uh, from the real estate agent side, um, how does that normally go down? Do you guys make a recommendation? Do they usually take it or are people finding it on their own? How are they hiring these? Yeah, and, and the way I've always trained my agents to do it and, and how I've done it um, is just to have a system set up where you, uh, you offer them at least three. Okay. Uh, options uh, and let and encourage them to make their own, you know, uh, choice out of, off of research. Or I just tell them, you know, go Google. You know, if you don't like any of these three, go Google inspectors in San Antonio, you know, and, and you can find, um, you know, someone that you're going to find good reviews on that you want to use. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. So if somebody bought a house and they did not get an inspection done, so, and they call you out. So tell me a bit about this. Is this a good thing to do? Yeah, if that's your... Your last resort, yeah, we'll be happy to come out and do an inspection. Uh, you know, I always say we'll inspect anything you're willing to pay us to inspect. Right. Yeah, so we'll come out and we'll do the same inspection we would have done is if we had done it before you bought the house. You know, and now we're trying to figure out you know, just you know, what you have. And some people have used that to just you know, build a you know, honey-do list. Mm -hmm. you know, what do we need to start getting going? What do we need to budget you know, are we going to have to probably replace the AC in the next year or two because we didn't know it was, you know, original to the 1980 house? Um, you know, things like that. So, or do we need to get an HVAC tech in now to clean the the mess that's inside the, the HVAC? Um, and then, unfortunately, we do get some that are, you know, leading to litigation of, how could the seller have not known that this was going on? You know, now let's start documenting it. So we get those. 
Yeah, and Gasper, so have you seen this kind of problem come oh, yes. up in the past? Y- yes, and, and it is, uh, you know, uh, the law says that, that you um, have the duty to read uh, what you're given, and if the uh, home inspector sends you a report, um, you should be reviewing that 100% and, and asking questions and working those out. And, and um, you know, in best case scenario, we want to gather that information uh, if the agent and uh, client successfully negotiated in an option period. And that option period is a purchase period of time that gives the client an opportunity to back out for absolutely no reason. He could just change his mind 100%, but because he purchased that option period time frame, can back out anytime he wants to for any reason. He, he uh, now he's not obligated to the contract anymore, other than having turned in his earnest money and paid the fee for that option period, whatever it may have been negotiated. Yeah, it's a powerful position to be in. Yes, to get these home inspections done. It's like I mean, you got a lot of ammunition. Why leave it on the table? So, Mike, if folks want to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Okay, our website is www.vhillc.com. Our phone number is 210-202-1974. All right, excellent. And and are we doing okay there over there with tech, Brick? Are we good? Will it work to put me over there or no? I got to check, so it looks really choppy over there. For those of you listening on the radio, we also videotaped the show. I want to make sure that uh, she can bring me up over there. Can you? Try the cut screen. And it's real choppy. All right, we'll, we'll just go with it. All right, so the last thing I want to cover, uh, sorry about the technical difficulties, but hey, that's the world we live in, right? It's all tech. So when it comes to uh, small businesses using Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, it is almost without exception that I see uh, problems out there. Um, and it, they're being poorly executed on, and it's because uh, us as small businesses, and, and this was where I started, um, we don't understand maybe the, the landscape and we think that certain things have to be a certain way, and this is what we're told by people selling us Facebook and Instagram advertising, and then we end up with something that's not really working well for us in a complete way. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, so but we all understand that it's good for business. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's like you got to have it, right? But a poorly executed social media content strategy uh, really can have a negative impact on your business because when people show up on your Facebook and Instagram page or your YouTube channel, and they see that nobody's really engaging with your content at all, um, it can really reflect badly or poorly on your brand. Um, and here you are putting a lot of effort into it, but you have little to nothing to show for it. And this is where, uh, this is the biggest problem I see, and it's actually a pretty simple fix. Now, a poorly executed paid ad strategy um, really leads to bad leads, right? I mean, how many real estate agents are having a problem, I follow up with all these leads and they're all dead leads. Nobody really cares. Nobody's interested or they thought they were signing up for a, you know, a free, you know, trip to a hotel for a night or something like that. There's just all this kind of weird stuff that happens. Um, that's, it's not really authentic enough, uh, to it becoming a customer for that person becoming a customer. That's just an example. Um, but businesses, you do pay a lot of money to promote social media. People are doing it on Google that can be, get really expensive, um, and then, of course, Facebook and Instagram, and at the end of the day, not have anything to show for it um, once the ads stop. So when, if you're running an ad, and it's not necessarily tied back to your social media platform, so you may get a lot of action on that ad, but it's not showing. Nobody knows about it. As soon as that ad's turned off, it's gone. 
Okay. So the two main problems that I see with small business Facebook and Instagram strategies are their sales funnels are upside down. This is the number one problem that if you know about sales funnel, it starts with awareness, then it's about engagement. I don't know if you guys ever watched Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but it's, uh, it's AIDA, right? Attention, interest, decision, and action. But I, it's really just kind of three steps, awareness, and then it's engagement and interest. And then it's also finally action, right? Well, what happens is that funnel gets inverted. And people are trying to go straight for the call to action, straight for the customer value. So I would challenge you to think about dating, right? If you're going to date, the first words out of your mouth are not, well, you'd make, I think you'd make a nice mom to my children, right? You're going to freak them out and you've you've (laughs) damaged the relationship, right? (laughs) So it's weird. And and that's a a really good way to conceptualize what we're talking about here and how trying to go go at it wrong does not necessarily work. Okay, and then of course, uh, all of this activity that's going on does not build your brand. That is so evident by what's going on on your Facebook and Instagram pages. It's easy to point out as a business owner. Just go to your page, look at your Facebook page, look at your Instagram page, and how much activity are you getting there? That's your brand. That's what's is representing your company out there. All right. So, when it comes to um, your focus, what should you be focusing on, and really kind of. Ha- what should you be budgeting for? How much should it cost? That's a good question. What do you guys think? Mike, what do you think that uh, it should cost for somebody to promote their Facebook page out there? I mean, what should they be spending in a month? Do you have any idea? I don't want, I'm are you talking ad spend or are you talking- The whole thing, the whole management. Manage so it, because really they, it's part of the same strategy. So combined budget, what do you think the average is spending? Yeah, it's been $500,000 easy. A month, 500 to $1,000, not 500,000, but 500 to $1,000 yes. a month. Okay, Gasper, any idea? Uh, yeah, I, I've, the budget that I've always set for myself has been 10% <clears throat> of the annual. For Facebook uh, and, and uh, Instagram? For anything. Oh, yeah, for anything. Yeah, at, at any level. And so I'll, I'll cut, um, I'll, I'll look at last year's earnings, take 10%, and I'm like, that's next year's marketing strategy. Well, I can tell you as an overall strategy, it, businesses that are really focusing on it, they're going to spend $1,500, $2,500 a month easy for management, and then they have ad spend on top of that. Right. So this is, but small businesses like looking at that going, that's not practical, right? I can't do that. Uh, especially if it doesn't lead to an immediate return right. because they're sweating that, that check every month. Right. Which I totally get that. Um, but the problem with Facebook and Instagram is that it's pay to play platform. Mm-hmm. So I would just encourage you guys to, um, you know, small business owners out there, there's um, a different way to approach this. It, you know, $250 a month is a reasonable management spend, then you have ad spend on top of that. That's what my company, Krukus, charges. Um, and it's because we know what we're doing when it comes to a full strategy that has a long-term effect and it doesn't require a whole lot of time. Um, so if you're a small business owner and you want to learn more about that, please visit uh, www.krukus.com. That's C-R-U-K-U-S.com and just uh, schedule a, a demo. Let me explain a little bit more what's going on, how it applies to your particular business. All right, as we wrap up the show, a quick reminder to check out our latest podcast on all the usual podcast platforms. And uh, you can watch video versions of the show anytime by visiting homebuyertalkradio.com. That's going to be it for us. Have a great week, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks.